Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining me for this episode of The Mod Pod. This month and next, we're keeping things a little shorter than usual by only featuring two articles rather than three, but I promise they won't disappoint. Ready to dive in? Then let's go. If you have a patient in your care who is undergoing treatment for cancer, you should know that the therapy they're on could cause ocular adverse events. If you have a patient in your care who has epithelial ovarian carcinoma in particular, you'll want to pay close attention to what authors Sarah Connolly, Ocular Medical Director at Immunogen, and Grace Little, Executive Ocular Medical Director at Immunogen, have to say about the importance of a good partnership between you and your patient's oncologist when caring for these patients. drug conjugates, or ADCs, are a new class of targeted drugs for cancer therapy and comprise a monoclonal antibody bound to a cytotoxic payload using a chemical linker. ADCs allow targeted delivery of a highly potent anti-cancer agent to the tumor with limited damage to surrounding healthy cells. However, each ADC carries its own set of toxicities. Mervituximab sorovtanzine gynex injection 100 milligrams, also known as Elihir, offers a new option for patients with certain types of ovarian cancer and is the first FDA-approved therapy for this malignancy since 2014. Because mervituximab is associated with ocular adverse events, or AEs, the patient's ability to remain on mervituximab therapy is maximized by effective partnerships between optometrists and oncologists. Epithelial ovarian cancer, or EOC, is estimated to cause 13,270 deaths in the United States in 2023. Most patients with EOC initially respond to platinum-based chemotherapy. However, up to 80% of patients experience recurrence and eventually develop platinum-resistant ovarian cancer, or PROC. EOC is characterized by aberrant overexpression of folate receptor alpha, which is absent in normal ovarian epithelium and is constitutively expressed in 80% to 96% of ovarian tumors. There are limited non-platinum-based options for treating PROC. And those have systemic side effects, including nausea, vomiting, muscle pains, myelosuppression, peripheral neuropathy, and alopecia. Mervituximab is a first-in-class ADC comprising a folate receptor alpha-targeted antibody conjugated to a cytotoxic payload, DM4, via a cleavable disulfide linker. After mervituximab is internalized by folate receptor alpha-positive tumor cells, Active DM4 catabolites are released to induce cell cycle arrest and apoptosis via inhibition of microtubule assembly. ADCs with tubulin targeting payloads are associated with ocular surface AEs. Although microcyst-like epithelial keratopathy may be observed with several ADCs comprised of tubulin targeting payloads, differences in antibody targets, specific payload, and linker affect frequency, severity, and specificity of ADC-associated ocular AEs. Accordingly, eye care management strategies vary across product labels. Most mervituximab-associated ocular AEs are low-grade corneal events that are resolvable with supportive care for symptoms and dose modifications when indicated. Because folate receptor alpha is not expressed in the corneal epithelium, mervituximab is thought to be internalized via a non-receptor-mediated mechanism. Therefore, its antimitotic effect on dividing cells in the corneal epithelium is assumed to be off-target. Mervituximab is thought to reach the cornea via the vascularized limbal region and or via the tear film. 
microcyst-like epithelial changes, or MECs, may be observed in the perilimbal cornea at the level of the basal epithelium and can potentially advance to the central cornea. These MECs may be associated with transient changes in corneal topography, which may present with blurred vision, with or without superficial punctate keratopathy, and dry eye sensation. In November of 2022, mervatoximab received accelerated FDA approval based upon Soraya, a single-arm trial of 106 adult patients with folate receptor alpha-positive PROC who had received one to three prior systemic treatments. Continued approval is contingent on results from the confirmatory Mirasol trial. A pooled safety population reflects exposure to mermituximab in 464 patients across three clinical trials, including Soraya. As with other targeted therapies, mermituximab is associated with ocular AEs, including low-grade corneal or vision-related AEs. And incidence of ocular AEs increases with increasing mermituximab exposure. The product labeling for mervituximab includes a box warning for ocular toxicity. Ocular AEs greater than grade three occurred in 9% of patients treated with mervituximab in the pooled safety population. Of these, 49% had complete resolution and 39% had partial resolution, which was defined as a decrease in severity by one or more grades from the worst grade at last follow-up. Blurred vision was associated with moderate and resolvable keratopathy characterized by transient microcyst-like changes to the corneal epithelium. There were no corneal ulcers, perforations, or permanent ocular sequelae. Ocular AEs led to permanent discontinuation of therapy in fewer than 1% of patients. Mervituximab is administered by intravenous infusion on day one of a three-week treatment cycle. The first ocular AE occurred around the second infusion, with a median of 1.2 months and a range of 0.03 to 12.9 months. An eye care management plan for mervituximab therapy has been established and is reflected in U.S. product labeling to include the use of pretreatment eye drops, ophthalmic monitoring, and dose modifications by the patient's oncologist. Thorough assessment of baseline ocular health and refractive status by an optometrist allows later differentiation of treatment-related ocular AEs from pre-existing ocular conditions. Prophylactic use of ophthalmic topical steroids is recommended. In Soraya, patients were prescribed prednisolone acetate 1% ophthalmic suspension or equivalent. It is hypothesized that steroids may reduce the rate of proliferation of corneal epithelial cells, making them less susceptible to antimitotic agents such as DM4. Frequent lubrication with preservative-free artificial tears is also recommended and has been shown to reduce the frequency and severity of mervituximab-related ocular events. Patients are advised to avoid contact lens wear during treatment with mervituximab unless directed by their eye doctor. These measures do not completely eliminate the development of ocular AEs, and additional ophthalmic mitigation strategies are being investigated. Patients are referred to their optometrist for scheduled follow-up. Mervituximab dosage modifications, so to delay, reduce, or permanently discontinue treatment based on severity and persistence of symptoms, are also an important tool for mitigation of ocular AEs. Although non-confluent keratopathy without a significant reduction in BCVA, so greater than or equal to a three-line reduction in BCVA, requires only monitoring. 
Ophthalmic examination findings are used to guide dose modification decisions by the oncologist in response to significant corneal findings, meaningful changes in BCBA and ocular AEs. The goal is to enable prompt intervention with dosage modifications by the oncologist to limit unnecessary discontinuations in treatment. Dose modifications are made by the oncologist based upon ocular examination findings. Optometrists play a central role in the collaborative management of these patients by accurately diagnosing and characterizing Mervituximab-related ocular findings, providing supportive care to manage symptoms of ocular AEs, and ensuring compliance to the eye care regimen. Critically, the optometrist is responsible for communicating findings of Mervituximab-related ocular AEs to the oncologist to provide appropriate dose modifications in the context of the patient's overall health status. Partnering with the oncology care team to ensure a an effective line of communication between the optometrist and the oncologist is critical to mitigating Mervituximab-associated ocular AEs and ensuring optimal outcomes for patients undergoing Mervituximab therapy. How well do you think doctors Connolly and Little help prepare you to manage microcysts like epithelial keratopathy related to cancer therapy on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not at all prepared and 10 being very well prepared? Email us and let us know at kroman at bmctoday.com. Now let's totally switch gears and talk about changing the perception of the retail optometrist. But first, let's take a quick pause. Okay, now settle in because Harman Chima, an optometrist and vice president of professional services at Family First Vision Care, a franchise of Pearl Vision, and John Womack, an optometrist and chief medical officer at Family First Vision Care, are about to serve up quite a bit of food for thought. Picture a familiar scene in a busy eye care clinic. An optometrist assures a relieved patient they do not have glaucoma while they're reviewing the OCT results in the exam lane. The OD swiftly walks to the next room to begin expressing myobian glands of another patient who's undergoing a treatment for dry eye disease. 10 minutes and 25 questions about dry eye later, the optometrist heads back to the first lane to check on an 11-year-old boy who's been undergoing myopia control treatment plan for the past six months. On the way there, another patient in the optical asks the doctor, Hey, which one do you like better, the red or the tortoiseshell frames? Add in 10 to 15 more comprehensive exams, seven of, several of those which require contact lens fitting, and what you end up with is a typical day at work for many optometrists. As you were just listening, were you imagining a retail optical setting? And if not, you're not alone. And that's the purpose of this article, to let our private practice and academic colleagues know that the concept of retail optometry is actually outdated. We practice at a franchise group that owns 88 Pearl locations across the country. One of us serves as the chief medical officer, and the other serves as vice president of professional services. Our roles come with many responsibilities, one of which fortunately is seeing patients so that we can remain clinically relevant. Some of the other responsibilities outside of patient care include fostering an environment where our doctors are confident in providing full scope medical optometric care, despite practicing in a retail setting. This is important to us because we see a fair amount, about 15 to 20% of our patients that require medical care. So we want to ensure our optometrists are equipped to provide full scope care. Patients may seek out a particular eye doctor practice or eye care practice because of their advertised specialty for treating certain conditions 
or perhaps because they carry a certain design or frame they've been searching for. In the retail setting, the patient is often seeking us simply because we are convenient. We stay open late and we have weekend hours. However, this does not prevent the patient who requires special care or one who wants to find out, find that special designer frame from entering our office. The only difference is that we may not know exactly when that patient's coming in. With our collective 21 years of practicing in retail settings, we have seen a lot, and we know it is paramount to change the perception of optometrists in retail settings. It's a popular assumption that those of us practicing in this mode spend our days doing refractions and writing scripts for glasses and contact lenses. Although that may be true for some practitioners, many of us practicing in retail locations perform testing and screening, prescribe treatments, and have patients return for follow-up appointments. So how do we embrace such a task? First, we have to admit that there is in fact a problem. Second, we have to course correct, which may involve investing heavily in equipment, operations, training, and relationship building. Let's get started. Part of the process of training our doctors has been to remind them that they may encounter various disease states, even while working in the retail setting. Our task is to make them aware of the prevalence of these conditions and to review with them some of the most effective treatment options available. We offer training through online conference calls every two weeks, in-person group meetings three times a year, and a group me text thread where doctors can share cases or ask questions without judgment. To date, the education we provide on common disease states includes, but is not limited to, myopia management, dry eye management, and proper coordination of care for patients with diabetes. Our method of building educational programs has been to consult with industry experts and scour peer-reviewed journals to develop approaches to treatment plans. This also included determining which diagnostic and therapeutic equipment was required to manage a targeted disease and set about obtaining this equipment. We tried this approach at a few different offices of interest, and if it worked well at those locations, we had other nearby offices, perhaps eight or nine of them in a given region, refer to them for use of the new equipment. During our bi-weekly training conference calls, which includes all of our optometrists, around 50 in total, invited vendors have a chance to speak and answer questions on treatment options for a variety of the conditions we see in our office. Although each vendor may share the unique attributes of their respective product, the goal is essentially to increase our optometrist's awareness of all available products on the market. We also ask our doctors to share case studies of patients they have cared for with the group. The ability to hear and learn together from our colleagues has been invaluable. The world of optometry is diverse and exciting, primarily because of the patients we serve. Regardless of the location and setting, whether it be retail, private practice, or academia, our purpose as eye care providers is the same, to serve the needs of our patients. What do you think after hearing Drs. Chima and Womack? Were you guilty of typecasting the retail OD or were you more open-minded? Do you agree that it's time we broaden our perspectives on the possibilities of providing care in this setting? Start a conversation on our social platforms. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and X, formerly known as Twitter. 
Well, we've hit the end of another episode, but we'll be back next month, and we hope you will too. Until then, be well, and thanks for listening. Thank you.